Welcome to the First Pres podcast, which features the message from this past Sunday's worship. If you would like to worship with us in person, our services are Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, 10, and 11 o'clock. You can learn more about First Pres at www.first-pres.org. Who knows what a story can hold? I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Jonah, chapter 3. Today we once again get to enter into God's story through a fantastic story in the Old Testament. We've looked at Esther and the story of Gideon the last couple weeks, and today we get to enter the story of God through Jonah, through his story. It's this little four-chapter tale tucked in between Obadiah and Micah. Jonah is a minor prophet, which does not mean that he's not important. It means that his book is really short. It's four chapters, and it's more of a story, as you know, than a prophecy, um, and it, it's, it's a whale of a story. So let's, let's enter it. I know, I know. So we're going to start right in the middle of the story in chapter three. So listen to the word of God as it comes to us this morning. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Amen, let's pray. God, we thank you for your word this morning. May it get planted deeply into our hearts that we might be changed and transformed more into the image of your son. Lord, water our lives through your spirit that we might be responsive and in tune with what you're doing in our worlds. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. Well, my first year in college, my roommate woke me up early one morning in October and told me to get my waterproof jacket and a camera, follow her to her car, and we were taking a trip about two hours east to Plymouth, Massachusetts. She was taking me on my very first whale watching adventure. Now you need to understand that I love whales, especially humpback whales. I think they're amazing, mysterious creatures of the ocean. I'm just drawn in. The first year of of my college experience, I decorated all my walls with whale posters. And my roommate, who was from Connecticut, thought that was really odd that a Colorado girl would love whales so much. So she finally decided it's time for you to actually see a whale. It was a great day, it was awesome, I'll never forget it. But let's be honest, whale watching is not for the faint of heart or stomach. 
especially off the coast of Massachusetts in late October. The ride was cold, it was rough, there were lots of people with green faces sitting in the cabin beneath trying not to vomit, but our stomachs were strong that day, and so we got to see whales. But the other truth about whale watching is this. You are fortunate if you actually get to see very much whale. You stare for hours at the water, hoping to see a fin or a fluke or just the side of a whale. And usually you see something, and it is amazing. But I'll tell you, it's not at all like the pictures in the brochure. (laughs) I never saw that. Or that. (laughs) But still, it was an amazing day. I will never forget it. It's just, it was just thrilling, if nothing else, to be on the sea, sailing, just for the sole purpose of really just looking for God's amazing creatures in the water, just to be able to see all that he's made. Our story today takes us to the sea and to a man who probably would have been happy to never see a large fish again. Jonah chapter 3 opens with these words, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, which immediately begs the question, well, I wonder what happened the first time the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Glad you asked. Let me sum up, and I'll do it in the spirit of Dr. Seuss, who's provided a little inspiration for our series. I'll call it, Oh, the Places You'll Preach. (laughs) And God said to Jonah, I'm thinking a thought. I'm sending you out with a plan and a plot. Nineveh's in trouble. It's in terrible shape. I need you to go, and it's getting quite late. I'll get you there safely. You'll carry my word. But Jonah went sailing. This plan is absurd. But while he was running away in this tale, God sent a storm, a wave, and a whale. The storm was too big, the waves were too wavy. The whale whale swallowed Jonah. This story is crazy. From the fish Jonah prayed and God made a way, God saved him that day so he could obey. And that's what happened the first time God spoke. I'm guessing the next time there won't be a boat or a whale or a storm or a sailing crew. Just Jonah deciding the right thing to do. And that's the end of chapter two. Thank you. (laughs) Chapter three opens with perhaps, other than the resurrection, the best news the scriptures can give us. And the word of God came to Jonah a second time. A second time. The word of God comes again. So Jonah didn't blow it? God hasn't moved on to someone else? Wow, that's amazing. At this point in the story, we're not actually sure what God sees in Jonah. He smells like fish. He's actively said no to God and run the other direction. And he has a seething hatred and a boiling anger towards this city, Nineveh. Otherwise, he's a great candidate. (laughs) But this is God's story. And what we see in this chapter is a God who loves the world. We see a God who sees, who hears, who cares, who rescues, who pursues, and forgives. We see that there is nowhere that we can go to get away from God. 
We see a God who's compassionate, who's good, who's slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, and a God who wants life for the wicked city of Nineveh, not death. And we see a God who pursues his stubborn, resistant, obstinate, inflexible servants so they too might experience the story of life that God is writing. God doesn't give up on Jonah, and that's incredible news for us. Because if God doesn't give up on Jonah, then maybe it's just possible that God doesn't give up on us. The word of God comes to Jonah a second time, and the word of God comes into our lives again and again and again. You've probably noticed that it's spring. I think, we're, I think it's here to stay. But in the spring, things begin to grow. As you know, our grass is getting a little greener, but with that green grass, once again, come those dandelions. No matter what we do, those little critters just keep coming back. You know, the word of God is like a dandelion. It just keeps coming back, and today that's really good news. Maybe you're here this morning in need of a second chance, in need of another opportunity to have a conversation with God, a new start. Perhaps this morning the word of God is coming to you a second time maybe a third or fourth, maybe it's the 54th time. In this season of spring, I've had the opportunity to listen to many of your faith stories with the election of our new officers and leaders and a whole big class of new members coming in. Part of all that process is to hear and share faith stories. So I've heard a lot of stories, which are really fun to hear. But there's been this theme coming up over and over again as I've listened to those stories. It sounds something like this. After 30 years of rejecting God, God showed up in my life again. After a season of walking away from God and doing my own thing, God showed up again. I committed my life to the Lord at a very young age, but I didn't really know what that meant. I didn't know how to follow. And several years later, God showed up again and showed me the way forward. What's your God showed up again story? What part of your story has God come a second time giving you a second chance. My guess is we all have that in our stories. The word of God comes again and again and again, and our rejection of or resistance to God's word is never the final word. In Jonah, we see God giving another chance. And not just for Jonah's sake, but because he has a part for Jonah to play in the bigger story that he is writing for the world. God so loved the world that he made Jonah and he gave him a part to play in the story of redemption. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time and Jonah obeyed the word and he went to Nineveh. And so God's story is cast. The role of Jonah will be played by Jonah. Jonah goes to Nineveh as God has asked, as God has sent him and finds Interestingly enough, that God's story is already happening in Nineveh. It's already underway. In verse 3, we're told that the city of Nineveh is so big that it takes three days to get through one side to the other. That's, I'm sure that's a walking pace. And although much ink has been spilled debating exactly how big Nineveh is, we're going to take it at face value this morning. It's a big city. Jonah's going to walk through the city speak God's word, and it's going to take him about three days to cover the city. Jonah doesn't waste too much air on his sermon, as you know. Maybe he's a man of few words, or God just doesn't want him to go off script. 
But here's the message. 40 days and Nineveh will be overturned. That's the whole message. Not the most inspiring sermon perhaps ever spoken. But look at this in the text. The text tells us that Jonah begins to go into the city. It's still the first day of three and the response is literally like wildfire. The city is ready to hear the word of God. Jonah barely gets the sermon out and the whole city right up to the king confesses and repents. We're told in verse five, the Ninevites believed God. Now take note, they didn't believe Jonah, they believed God. Remember, in God's story, God gets the glory. A fast is declared for everyone, from least to greatest. They put on sackcloth, the king too. In fact, the king himself repents, takes off his robe, covers himself in sackcloth, and makes a decree. Everyone is going to repent. It looks like the animals even got to repent. And then we read the words of our series in verse nine, the words of our title. Who knows, says the king, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Unbelievable. A pagan king is thinking about God. Now how would he know what to think? I think the best answer is that God has already been at work in the city, preparing them for the moment when Jonah would come. And so they're ready to repent and believe. So God grabs Jonah and says, it's time. I'm taking you to Nineveh. They're ready to hear the good news. And even though Jonah seems like hardly the best candidate, remember he doesn't even like these people, the word of God comes through Jonah. God uses him and the whole city responds. I'm reminded of Jesus' words in Luke 10 where he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. The harvest is plentiful. People are ready to hear the good news. City is ready to hear the good news. So many are ready to hear the good, good news of God. And the wonderful thing about God's story is that we get to be the harvesters if we're willing to go. God prepares, does all the work, and we get to share the good news. My daughter Maggie has been part of a musical production for the past four months, and they just wrapped up their last public show last night. It was a fun show. Interestingly, it was called Seussical, a tribute to Dr. Seuss. And two weeks ago, when the cast was in the middle of dress rehearsals, I would come a little bit early to pick her up, kind of see what's going on, and there would always be this moment at the end when the director would stand in front of the kids and they would all gather around her and she would give what she called the director's notes, telling them from the dress rehearsal what, what could get better, what they needed to do. I mean, you know how it goes, you know, cat in the hat, you need to be louder. Who family, move over three steps, we can't see you. Um, in that song, it's possible you all really need to believe that anything is possible. Tech team, turn up Horton the elephant's microphone. We can't quite hear him. You know how it goes. The final part of Jonah's story, I would call the director's notes, where God sits with Jonah and they have a conversation about what's going on, a little debrief about how everything is going. And I suppose with Jonah's attitude at this point, 
in the story. And by the way, spoiler alert, God's going to save the city and Jonah's going to be really angry with God for doing that. But because of his attitude in this moment, I think we could change the title of the sermon from who knows to who cares. God wants Jonah to care about Nineveh. He wants him to care, and he wants us to care about a world that is going on the fast track to hell. He wants Jonah's heart to be responsive to what he sees, to care about his fellow human beings. He wants to plant his heart into Jonah's heart, a heart of compassion, a heart of care. You see, the irony of this story about Jonah is he actually knows the heart of God. He knows God's name. He can say his name from that's being passed down from generation to generation. The Lord, strong and compassionate, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, and ready to relent from punishing. In Jonah's head, he's got it right. But he doesn't want a heart like God's. He prefers to be angry and pouty, self-focused, hot-tempered. He's done what God has asked him to do. He's played this amazing part in this story of redemption. He's gone to the depths of death for three days and God has saved him. He's experienced God's salvation and God's rescue. He knows who God is. But his heart is a stone-cold mess when it comes to the outsider. His heart is stone cold. In this story, it's the Ninevite king who expresses great faith in God. He's the one who asks, who knows what God might do? Jonah ends his story staring at a vine a mile away from the city, angry and pouting, stewing about his own lack of comfort and how mad he is that God will save this wretched city. Ouch. The story of Jonah is a story about being sent and the internal battle perhaps we all feel about spending our lives, giving our lives away for the other. Sometimes it feels easier to have a heart of stone than a heart that actually cares, a heart that takes rather than a heart that gives. As God's people, I I suppose we can easily slip into this posture of scarcity, that if I give the blessing of God away, there might not be enough for me. Jonah seems to be living in that really small and grabby place. But the story of Jonah is also a story about God's abounding love for the world, the whole world, especially the world that is not yet a part of God's people. God shows us that he has more than enough love, more than enough to save Jonah from the belly of the whale and save a sailing crew and an entire city that needs to be saved. God has time to sit with Jonah on a hillside and talk about dead vines and sneaky worms and anger. And he has time to count every person in Nineveh and all their animals and bring them all to safety. God's love is abundant. It does not run out, ever. Our story ends, I think as you know, with a question. God asking Jonah, 
Should I not be concerned about Nineveh? Should I not care about the entire world that I have made and everyone and everything in it? Should I not be concerned? And who knows how Jonah responds to that question? It's not recorded. We don't know. But here's what we do know. We know a God who pursues relentlessly. We know a God who doesn't give up on anyone. A God who calls a whole city to repentance and changes the course of their lives. A God who replaces hearts of stone with hearts of flesh. A God who would ultimately send himself in Jesus Christ to the world in need of a new story. I don't know where you are this morning, but I probably, like you, know what it's like to have a hard heart, to throw a tantrum before the Lord, to say no, to pout and stew, to shut a door, to not go through one that's been opened, and not in any particularly dramatic way. I mean, just in the day-to-day. We all live hard lives. Life is difficult. All of us face a different set of challenges that are not easy in our lives. In these past few weeks of studying Jonah, I identified a lot more with Jonah than I was really comfortable with. So I decided to coin a new phrase for our family. Maybe it's just for me. But when I get stuck in that place where I feel my heart is hard, um, I know what the right thing is to do and I just don't want to do it, don't want to say I'm sorry, want to be stubborn. The thing I've realized that I can say is I'm having a Jonah moment right now. And I'll get back to you shortly. Now feel free to use that too. That's free of charge this morning. It really works. (laughs) But being in a Jonah moment, what we learn today is it's actually a temporary space. It's a space we find ourselves in when we know that God needs to do some work on us. When I know in that moment that I need to be rescued just as much as the people around me, as anybody else. It's a moment when I pray to the Lord to intervene in my life. And whatever it takes, a storm, a fish, to get my heart soft and back on track, that's what I need God to do in me. But Jonah's story is also a word for us as God's people. It's a heart check. Do we care? Do we ache for a broken world that is far from God and lost? Enough to say, here I am, you can send me. If God can use Jonah to save an entire city and Jonah doesn't even care, who knows what God can do with a church that does care, a church that loves Jesus, and is passionate about God's mission to seek and save the lost. I close with these words. And God says to us, I'm thinking a thought. I'm sending you out with a plan and a plot. This city I love doesn't know my whole story. You're the ones I've placed downtown with my glory. Every workplace and school, every street name and pool, every person you meet, all the people you greet, they all need to be loved with the love that I love. They need to know Jesus has come from above. I'm sending you, go, please don't say no. Although if you're book, you're not off the hook. 
You were made to be sent with my love for the world. I will love you and call you to the ends of the earth. For who knows what God can do with a church that loves Jesus and the whole wide world too. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your story. We thank you that you have invited us to be a part of it, that you have made us and wired us and sent us to places where people need to hear hope. And we thank you that that hope also invades our lives and changes us. And so God, as we receive your word this morning, wherever we find a hard edge or a place that we just can't get to, would you send your spirit to soften to remind us that there is another opportunity, another chance to let your word soak into our lives. God, thank you that you love us and this whole world too. Help us to go where you've sent that we might be changed. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to our First Prez podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.first-prez.org.